Welcome to the Wildlife Experience. In this episode, I interview Ian Breland. Uh, Ian is a sort of uh, social media friend I've had for a long time. We have a shared interest in reptiles and amphibians. Uh, so this episode is mainly about herping. And uh, Ian has been to a few different countries. Um, he's been to uh, Ecuador, Peru, Mexico, Guatemala. Um, so we talked about herping in some of those areas. Uh, we drift into a few non-herping topics, um, but it's mainly about um, reptiles and amphibians. Um, and we talk a little bit about some of the stuff he's up to uh, with this uh, really cool um, wildlife uh, sort of filmmaking project he's working on. Um, so that's really cool. Um, overall, it was a really good talk. Uh, Ian's a cool dude. Um, and I think you guys will enjoy it. Um, so I'll end it with that. And now I bring you Ian Breland. All right. I'm here with Ian Breland. Ian, thanks for being here, man. Thanks for having me. Stoked. This is, uh, this is round two. <laughs> yeah. We're going to get it. We're going to get it, get it done this time. I had connection issues last time, but, um, I'm, I think we're squared away now. So we're going to have some fun here. Oh, yeah. Um, let's do it. So we'll, let's just start out. Um, uh, tell us your background, man, where you're from and um, what you like to do and, and anything like that. Yeah, so uh, I'm actually originally from a tiny little town in Wyoming. Uh, that's where I was born. Didn't even really live there, though. Uh, I moved immediately. I was in a military family, which actually played a big role in me loving snakes because I got to move around different ranges. But uh, I was in Northern California, Southern California, Texas um Colorado before I was back in Colorado Utah uh, and then Wyoming again so uh, I, I started liking snakes probably just animals in general in Wyoming and Cheyenne where I wasn't born there but I was uh, raised it's it's the capital and there's plenty of snakes stuff to do around there I caught my first snake a uh, little garter snake thing was a plains garter snake when I was like probably five six years old and I named it Slinky I almost killed it on accident because uh, I didn't know anything about snakes whatsoever. I tried to feed it like a hot pocket because I like hot pockets. And then I tried to, I, I didn't know snakes drink water. I thought they sucked it in through their skin or something. So I didn't water it. Then, <laughs> then I realized that I was killing Slinky slowly. So I let him go, but I was, I was done from there. I was catching snakes left and right. I was a little neighborhood snake remover. Like everyone is that's on here. Yeah. It was great. Now I'm in Colorado and Denver. I'm looking to get out to warmer climates. Um, but I, I did Colorado. We have more biodiversity than 99.9% of people know. Yeah. I thought you were about to say 99.9% of the United States are like, oh, don't go there. But it's more, <laughs> than, more than what people think, though. Yeah, for sure. And not really like where I am even. You know, I'm a pretty typical high elevation biodiversity area like denver you know where it's a mile high so we get like maybe 12 species or so of snakes um yeah. but when you go to the southeast corner of colorado it's no joke we get like 27 species now probably like 23 24 species kind of down in the proper great. great plains stuff yeah it's it's like a weird little uh intersection where you get oklahoma species to an extent it's it's the range extension of many species that are in the midwest and yeah southern like long nose snakes so weird 
we get kings speckled king snakes uh thread snakes i'm sure you've heard how rare those are you guys just lose their mind in colorado over thread snakes so you know what i think about when i think of um colorado herping is um spent logic and milk snakes <laughs> oh yeah dude spent logic is he's the legend he he is you need to have him on here oh, he, yeah, sure. i got him on my list i just got to reach out to him him and joe oh, booth dude. <laughs> he would love that he so to anyone out there that doesn't know he's he's like the og youtuber for herping and he happens to be in well originally he was in colorado and he would go out there he was like my hero as a kid he was more of a celebrity than any other human besides maybe steve Irwin. yeah to me he was, was like dude he, he was amazing he and i he took me a couple times out to go herping and it was just literally still will always be what some of the best days of my life so fun i uh so joe farah moved to houston like four years ago and um just going out herping with him for the first time was was cool for me because i was like a little kid watching him and smet logic um nice. it's, it's, uh, rob it's it's rob smet logic smet logic is his last name no no that's some weird um nickname what's, he made. What's, I, you oh, what's his last name again? I, I forget his last name i feel bad i just uh, know Kreutzer, Kreutzer. I knew that. I knew that. Yeah. His, his son is Nick Kreutzer. Yep. Yeah. Nick is awesome. Uh, Nick is killing it across Mexico all the time. So yeah, cool. I just know him. I spent logic. I forget his real name. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, yeah, I used to do that. I went to, uh, went out herping with Joe and he like called, uh, spent logic one time and it's like talking to him on the phone, like on speaker. And I was like chatting with him a little bit. I was like, this is so cool. You know, like you just, the world is um, in the internet world. You know, if you're into some obscure hobby, you got to find people on the internet. And then when you actually meet them in person, it's just kind of strange. Yeah. Yeah. It's super weird. Like, um, I remember, I think I met Joe long before I met um, Rob. He took me out to dinner with my mom when I was like 10 years old. Just, it was like middle of winter in Denver. So no one could herp. And it was back when, like, he kept snakes. He told me about all the little pythons he had. And, uh, like, just going to dinner at Thai basil with uh, Joe was amazing, dude. It was like sitting down with the president of the United States. (laughs) And then then we did go on some herping trips. But um, that was actually, like, one of the closest I've come to death probably was with, with Joe. Like, we talked about this when we were held at gunpoint in like Southeast Colorado on the, uh, the, the three corners, the lesser known area. That's not the four corners where it's Oklahoma, Kansas, and Colorado. And there's a bunch of private property down there. We, we were looking for the first Western diamondback in Colorado. Cause we think that they're down there. It's perfect habitat. And you can find them just over the border in New Mexico, like right there. Snakes um, don't know uh, political boundaries. Yeah, yeah, they really don't. So, and it's the same habitat. So we're like, dude, there's so much private property is the thing. Like, you know, it'd be one thing if it's public and people survey it all the time and it been surveyed forever, but it hasn't. The second it was bought up, no one else went on it. And cowboys don't care, you know, to them, they probably think prairie rattlesnakes or Western diamondbacks. So um, we, we went down there. We thought we could sneak onto some private property like everyone does at some point. And we just got raided by like five different trucks at once, jumping out with guns. And they all held their guns at us. Luckily, we had a Great Plains rat snake in the backpack already um, that we gotten on the property. So I was like, listen, we can prove we're here for snakes because they didn't believe us. 
I was like, just let me reach into my backpack, which was bad because <laughs> I had to do that. But this lady's like, she's like, fine, do it then. Show us a snake. And I like reached in and pulled out a little Great Plains rat snake. I was like, this is what we're here for. Can you stop putting the gun in my stomach? And then she <laughs> did. And, and then it ended with Joe asking if we could stay the night on their property. And they were like, uh, you know, it's pretty ballsy of you to ask, but just get out of here while yeah. we let you. I'm surprised Joe didn't uh, convince them to, to let y'all stay. He has a way with landowners. That's what I've learned, herping with him. Oh, oh he does, dude. He, <laughs> you, like, it's absurd. I told you the story. Uh, uh, we were out herping in the Katy Prairie, and he was trying to get me a ringneck snake. Um, it was really hard to find around here. He just showed up from Colorado and started finding them. But anyway, uh, he, he knocked on this lady's door, and she said we can look for snakes on her property if we mowed her lawn. So Joe had a push mower, like with her lawnmower, a, a, a really shitty push mower. He was mowing her lawn as I was flipping the cover on her property. Wow, that's yeah. hilarious. That's hilarious. I've never heard that. That's so yeah. funny. That's, that's so probably Joe. The best memory I have with Joe is just I'm, I'm flipping tin for ring and boards and shit for ringneck snakes, and Joe's just mowing a lawn for this lady. Dude, that's fucking great. Honestly, it was a terrible spot. I don't even know why we stopped there, like, for ringneck snakes. It wasn't really good. But Joe is just hardcore like that, so. Dude, he is. I've never seen someone find so many uh, eastern hognose snakes, like, in, what? what's the, the big Houston? city he was in? Houston, yeah. It's yeah. like, he has a spot, right, where you can find yeah. like, multiple color variations within, like, yeah. freaking 20 minutes. Yeah. It's just absurd. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I've been there a couple of times. It's it's neat. Although now like, half the snakes have been caught by other people. So I'm like, I'm trying to try to find my own hog spot. <laughs> yeah, I kind of yeah. I kind of was thinking that it might become some kind of pretty popular. You know, it's it's neat. You know, I, if you know about it, you know, it's it's uh it's cool to go see some really neat snakes. But I like I like going out into new I like exploring new areas and you know finding new snakes and new populations. I don't I get kind of I kind of I get it jaded with spots like that really fast. Um, Me too. But you know, it's, yeah. I used to really knock people for for hitting them like that. But honestly, we're all just trying to have fun. It's just for me, I prefer to go out and work for them a little bit, and you know, find a new area. Um, yeah, I I used to kind of be the same way. I would I would kind of give people crap for going to the same places, even though I would do it too. Yeah, and then. You know, it, it, as long as it's not having a, an impact on the microhabitat, yeah. I could care less, honestly. But yeah, I feel like people are missing out on the fun, just the pure rush of finding your own place, going there, failing maybe, and then finding, going again and again and again, and then finding some snake that you've been dreaming of and imagined for months. Yeah. It's so it's, fun. It's, a, so it's fun. very, it's, it's the experience, you know, of, yeah, of looking exactly. for rare animals. Um, so like when it's guarantees, when you're traveling around, you know, like people that are visiting Houston, I could see why they'd be attracted to go to some place like that. Cause when you're traveling, you're limited on time, but, and you want to see as much as you can, but you know, I live here in Houston and I'm just, um, I try to hit new spots as much as I can just to keep it everything fresh and, and more entertaining for me. But, um, yeah, so, uh, so you, you've been herping Colorado for how many years? Uh, ever since I moved here in 2008, so you got uh, that's 10, 11, 13 years. Wow. 
I didn't realize that. That's a long time. Um, I yeah, I, I have stayed away though from the west slope more than I intended. I really want to get because it's literally like we have three 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 states basically in Colorado, which is like the mountain alpine that most people think of. Then you have the plains that herpers know about. But then there's a part that not even many herpers even think of outside of the Colorado, um, the western slope, where across on the other side of the Rockies, we have quite a ways before you reach the Utah and the Four Corners borders. So you have like beautiful Red Rocks desert, um, high desert all the way down to like really low Moab elevation desert, where we get midget faded rattlesnakes, we get California king snakes which my friend Hunter found, Hunter Johnson won this year, which was like the first one found in a couple of years live. You can find DOR down there pretty often, but they're still rare and they're just beautiful kings, like the best, in my opinion, the very highest quality banded Cali kings that are out there. They're high white, like white bands, like that big compared to black bands that are like that big. Yeah. And, uh, so oh. you, get over the, you get over to the Western side of the Rockies and it's just a totally different, like you know eco region and different plants and animals really yeah and we have this beautiful collared lizard um out there that you know we get collared lizards all throughout the midwest but they tend to be pretty ugly uh besides like every once in a while you get a pretty one which is still the ugliest possible collared lizard you get on the west slope they're like bright blue like people will go there just to photograph the collared lizards oh, and wow. leopard lizards we get um what are those those big predatory ones too with the the long noses or maybe blood noses there's something know, going man, on I'm, I'm terrible with lizards out there <laughs> me too as you can tell I'm, I'm really bad with lizards which i think are they're really interesting but yeah. i mean they're so overshadowed by snakes like, i think it's because they're hard to thing. catch it's hard, they're hard to catch. you got to have a telephoto lens to really appreciate a lot of those lizards yeah yeah exactly and i mean i i had a telephoto recently but it's still it's just not as fun and I, I like the chase of the snakes yeah. I, like, I like running through like chaparral chasing coach whips and and oh it's just great and rattlesnakes you know animals that can kill you even though they don't want to just the the idea of the danger is it's much more fun to me it's like looking for lizards and other reptiles is almost like birding to me which i'm sure i'll get so much hate about <laughs> but compared to snakes it's like what's cooler yeah, yeah. You know, snakes. Um, you, you still see, I went through um, a kind of different phases in my herping journey. I used to be very attracted to venomous snakes because they can kill you, but that I kind of, I kind of faded out, you know, it, I still, I guess there's still a, some allure to them because, you know, they, they have this highly evolved mechanism to subdue prey, but it's, it's less about like, I don't know. I haven't been to, you know, the Amazon or anything though. So I, I, uh, I may just be kind of jaded about my local venomous snakes here in Texas, but you, you still are really attracted to, to the stuff that can kill you. It sounds like. Yeah, I am, but, uh, shamelessly Amazon. <laughs> no, it's actually true in the Amazon. Um, that, that did bring my interest in like vipers and not, not vipers, but just how obsessed I was with venomous snakes. It actually brought it down because it's, extremely hard to find venomous snakes in the amazon at least where i am yeah. i compared it like as far as a ratio of non-venomous to venomous it's probably like 15 to 20 non-venomous to one venomous so oh, wow. you really learn to appreciate just because i mean i think it's simply because of the biodiversity 
um, down there and the vast majority are non-venomous or at least the rear fangs. Most of them are rear fangs, but I consider that, you know, harmless. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that actually made me appreciate like boas and little fossorials and a bunch of crazy other little stuff a lot more, especially because the excitement you get when you, do, you can't identify a snake, you know, it's harmless, you know, some kind of leaf litter snake say, um, but, but you don't know what it is. And I just love going back and trying to identify them, yeah. like counting scales, looking at field guides, looking up papers online, asking experts. It's so much more fun than rolling up on a big fur lance, which is an adrenaline rush, but you know what it is. And yeah, that's about it. So that's, that's probably the, the most exotic, um, venomous snake I've seen. I was in Belize in a coastal area and I guess, I mean, they're common there, but I just wasn't thinking about seeing one in this like coastal grassland, um, near Placencia, but it was, we saw one. It was neat. I ran out there. It looked, I didn't realize how it was like a juvenile. I didn't realize how skinny they are. I was, it was like kind of at dusk and the lighting wasn't great. And we were, we were driving down this road, shining for crocs in the ditches. We were doing croc research. Um, I was with the CRC, the croc research coalition and, um, started kind of drizzling and, and I saw the snake come out on the road. I thought it was a, just a you know non-venomous rat snake or something. And I went out to grab it and I got, I got closer and closer and I saw how big its head was. And I was like, Oh shit. Dude. <laughs> really? Yes. Um, it was, cool. it was kind of a unique looking beautiful. one too. It, um, in that coastal environment, it looked different than all the pictures of, of fertilizers I've seen in the more tropical rainforest, broadleaf rainforest. Yeah. That's, that's I mean, my that's only a, cool experience uh, with a snake and like the tr- actual tropics. Yeah. That's, that's funny. That was in Belize. Cause that's like the one tropical country I've been to a lot and never seen a fertilance. Really? There's they're hard out there for me. There's something, maybe it's cause I'm not on the mainland usually, but they're still on the islands. Most of them. Really? Uh, I just gotta still, do that. Yeah, I mean, not like the Keys and stuff, but on Ambergris Key, mm-hmm. um, where it's kind of more of a peninsula that's flooded. Uh, there is a break from a hurricane in like 2006 or something. It's like literally 50 feet wide. But there are fertile lands on the other side of that break uh, in the mangrove, actually. And no one has ever proven it, like written it up. But uh, whenever I go out there, I I stay with the American Crocodile Education Sanctuary, ACES. Yep. I'm sure ACES. I heard of them. Yeah, um, Chris and I can never remember his girlfriend's name. But um, they they are always telling me, they're like, yeah, Ferdinand's rat, you're like guaranteed. We, we've seen them. We've seen them surveying for crocs. And you can obviously trust them. Yeah. They oh, know yeah they, 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 they've lived down there for a while, too. Yeah, yeah. It's really, and, uh, I was really like, oh, dude, like we need to do an expedition like up in the northern end of the island where it's uninhabited. And there's like fur lance in the mangroves. That would be so cool. Seeing swimming around in the mud. Yeah, that that but, that's not a uh, an area I would expect to see one. That's that's yeah, interesting. And there's probably um, like a lot more mainland species out there. They they think at least like tiger rat snakes or um, what else? Oh, indigo snakes. Although those are all creebos. Yeah, I saw a crebo in uh, my first time I went. I didn't actually catch it myself, but one of the rangers we were with caught it right in front of me. I think it was badass. <laughs> that's so cool, dude. Yeah. Crebos are like tailed crebo. That's the most exciting snake I think I've ever caught or seen in the wild. Despite really? their lack of venom, dude. They're just beasts. They're I think of them as like a new world king cobra. Like you got the yellow tail down further south? 
Yeah, yeah, pretty pretty common. I mean, not common, but say you spend two weeks in the Amazon walking trails, you have a very good chance of at least seeing one. Not so much catching one, but no, they're yeah. fast. Dude. The, the, and then the last time I went two years ago, I saw one at a Mayan ruin. It was like kind of in the open, just you know, doing the oh. touristy stuff, which is kind of rare for me. But the Mayan ruins are kind of neat. So I was out there walking around. I saw one and on the open ground. And it disappeared so fast. I didn't have a chance to grab it. It was so fast, but it was huge. It was that way bigger so than the cool. first one I found down there. It was like a like a real eight footer, you know. Oh, it's absurd, dude. I um just from knowing researchers and stuff in the Amazon, like the sizes that Kribos attain is is absurd. It's it's like unheard of. There's not even captive Kribos of the sizes that I've heard of researchers that are very uh, reliable on their size referencing. Um, <laughs> describing like 10, what they've 10 seen they've plus. Like, dude 12 plus 12 plus God. 12 plus footers and i'm i'm not exaggerating I, I swear dry mark and <laughs> yeah dry mark on um Correus, i believe is the one down there and it like um one of my friends who's who's a really lucky she's a memologist which immediately gives her like better luck than any herber on the planet because <laughs> she's always looking for mammals yeah. Um, she lives down there at Ojanueva, the research station I'm usually at, and she she was taking the main road to that station to the little village that you take a boat to the station um, that is really pretty well trafficked by loggers, but that's about it, loggers and villagers, and there's dead snakes on there all the time. Just last month, uh, the owner of Ojanueva sent me a picture of a um, emerald tree boa that she found that was dead freshly dor on that road and she'd never even seen a live one and she's worked down there for 10 years it's absurd but but this girl nadine uh she found one when she was on the back of her boyfriend's motorcycle they were driving and she said they thought that it was just a massive yellow rope that was literally stretched this is a huge logging road like they have to fit trucks from 1980s uh down this road to take out thousand year old trees and the snake was crossed from one end to the other and it was just bright yellow you know fading into black and she's they didn't even stop until they like almost ran it over because they were just like it's rope so i'm gonna question about it and then it moved and she said even even her boyfriend who used to work for that organization he was not afraid he caught it in a condos and stuff she's like even he was like terrified once he grabbed it and it came back up on him he just let it go he did not want to mess with that it's just absurd crazy oh man that's crazy it, when i grab big indigos they always intimidate me they never bite but they always act like they're gonna bite and i just know it hurts it's gotta hurt getting bit by one well yeah i'm kind of uh i'm more cautious when i catch them now because in the amazon like when we first caught a the uh, my first one ever which was huge uh it's probably eight foot nine foot um that one it came back up on me and i dodged it but then it came back up again and it just whacked me with its head it didn't bite but it whacked me, like it punched me basically in the face with its head, mouth closed. And I was, I always believed that that's just, that's their maximum defense yeah. and they will never bite. But then in Ecuador in this past, uh, when was it April, we caught one and I was taking drone footage of it from above because it was so big. I really wanted like footage of it crawling through this green grass. And I told my friend to hold it while I was getting the drone ready. And it was pretty calm, just being a normal Kribo. We had already caught it the day before, so it was pretty habituated to us. And it just chomped him. The thing just turned on him like, like a boa with heat-sensing pits or something that can, like, feel the warmth. 
and it just went boom, opened its mouth, clamped down, and he had a bruise on his forearm from the jaws. From the like pressure. God, yeah. I believe it. Weird. They, they're very weird. They're big, powerful snakes that prey on other snakes. You know. Yeah, yeah. They just they just know that they're the boss. So I, I yeah. think most of the time they don't try to show you, but they definitely can. They just have such different personalities too, yeah. being so intelligent. So we're, this is a good uh, point to go ahead and just uh, tell us about your adventures in the Amazon and how you, your first trip down there and like kind of what you're doing down there, what you've done down there. Yeah. So uh, I went down for the first time in 2018 with my girlfriend at the time. Uh, we both really wanted to, I just graduated high school and uh, we really wanted to kind of celebrate it slash uh, explore the real world, I guess, and just do something crazy. And I'd always wanted, I was like, what's the craziest place I can go to realistically, you know, with my lifeguarding money. And uh, it was the Amazon. So we, we got on a plane, went down, we went on a trip with the company I now guide for, uh, Tamandua Expeditions, which was amazing. We show up there in the Amazon. I like almost cried just from how beautiful it was like the trees, 60 meters. I mean, just like it can't be described it can't even be shown in a photo like photos are worth a thousand words but any any of the best photos from the amazon still can never get across the real feeling you you have when you step into it and like one you realize you're in the number one most biodiverse area of literally the known universe you know like the the solar system the the planet not just not just south america or the world but that we know of as humans and it just feels like you're you're live you're you're like a it almost feels like you're a tardigrade like on a human body, you know, crawling around, and you just have zero control, and you're just giving yourself to to the wild, which is a feeling that is hard to come by these days. You know, even when you go to national parks in the United States, or you go even to Costa Rica or something, there's just that nagging feeling that you're only 200 miles from civilization. Or you're only, you know, you can get cell service if you climb to the top of that hill. But down there, it's it's just, it, it takes your breath away. So I went down there. Um, I was hooked immediately. We, we found some snakes that trip, not many. I could count on my hands how many. Uh, I had thought it was going to be a wonderland of snakes just everywhere, falling out of the trees. And I wasn't going to have to really even try to find them. And it was the beginning of rainy season, so it should have been perfect. But I, I learned very quickly that the Amazon... Uh, for, for how many beautiful snakes it has and just the biodiversity, it, it doesn't come easily. You have to really put in the work and, and it makes sense. And all, it makes it more fun now. You know, if everyone could go down there and grab, reach into the bushes and just grab snakes out, it's, it's it would get. Tell me this. You know, I, I think I may learn this from Matthias or, or some, maybe someone else, but like it, the, the snake diversity is really high, but the abundance like for any given species is lower because of the, just the, the species diversity. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like so you um, go to like, you go to like Northern, uh, Northern States in the U S there's lower diversity, but high volumes of like garter snakes or water snakes or whatever. Like you go yeah. to like areas that are super more diverse. Um, there's like more species, but less room for each species to be really, really abundant. Yeah. And it's, it's more noticeable than, like the most massive pimple on on your face it's 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 absurd the 
the difference because I'll tell people, you know, they like my family and stuff. Whenever we meet up, they'll be like, "Oh, I bet you you see so many snakes wherever you wherever you go in the Amazon." And I, I I'm so glad we don't have that have as many snakes here. I'm like, you know, actually, like Kansas, Central Kansas is probably and and Southern Colorado probably one of the most dense snake populated areas in the entire planet. Like yeah. you have people that have 200 plus snake days in the United States. Easy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you go out to Flint Hills, uh, Kansas. I only say that because everyone knows where it is. Um, and flip some rocks. Like you're going to find dozens of snakes minimum. If you're a terrible herper, you'll find dozens of snakes. But then the Amazon, I stay there for a month and I average maybe two to three snakes a night. But they're all such quality. Yeah. And you do have yeah yeah and and you you do have um you know snakes that occur way more frequently than others like nowadays i barely even look at blunt-headed tree snakes or northern cat-eyed snakes they're still cool and i'll always love them Uh, i still appreciate them you know look at them especially if there's someone with me that's never seen them uh they're just they blow their mind just like they blew mine but they're far more common and common meaning like i might see five in a month um to ten maybe yeah but it's it's weird. I, I much prefer quality over quantity though these days. Yeah. And while you're at it, you see amazing amphibian diversity. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've been learning to appreciate that a lot more in my past trips, especially back in, um, I, I went to, so, so these days I'm filming a show, uh, if you could call it that for an online uh, network, streaming network. There's so many popping up these days, but this one is natureandadventure.com. Um, it's sponsored. It's co-founded by Forrest Galante, which some people have issues with him. Some people don't. Um, I kind of just see him as a means to an end. Uh, the, the whole, you know, thing. Um, I don't have an opinion one way or another. I just have a, I know that we have a platform that we can put stuff on yeah. and we're grateful for that. So we got funding to go down and film this, uh, this show called Serpentine. It's a short format field herping series. Uh, me, when I say we, I mean me, my my co coworker uh, Mike Michael Ring, he's an awesome dude, and then Sean Laughlin, uh, the wild ginger beast. If you know of him on online, I certainly yeah uh, I do. I follow. Yeah, he's he's a great dude. So we went down there for only ten days, uh, just to slam filming in. I was there for a month, but our filming for that was ten days, and we just. Oh, we, we found so many amphibians that uh, I was with a uh, naturalist at OHA. He's also my, my good friend, uh, Marcos Corello, and he's Argentinian. He went out to OHA Nueva, the research station we base our stuff out of, including the show. Um, it, they own a ton of land, like thousands of hectares of just untouched primary rainforest that backs up to more untouched primary rainforest that is yet to be protected, uh, but they're in the works of it. So that's that's really OHA's whole mission besides rewilding and research. So uh, we're we're hiking through there, and Marcos would be I would be like bored because we're not seeing snakes. And then Marcos would show me so many different frogs. Like there aren't many glass frogs down there actually. There's only you, you don't see glass frogs ever, and there's only one species in that exact region, Madre de Dios. Uh, and within Madre de Dios, the Las Piedras River. Um, it's very understudied, very underknown um but and that's because it's so remote so there's only one glass frog that was described 
I can't remember. It was like in the nineties, maybe early two thousands. Yeah. And no one has seen it since the holotype was there and nothing else. Yes. So other than that though, there's, you know, we see monkey frogs every night. There's like three or four species of monkey frogs, which all look amazing. And the coolest one, which sparks my interest to the max of amphibians more than I've ever cared about any other amphibian more than I ever thought I could was the giant monkey frog follow Medusa bicolor. That's the one most people know to be yeah, responsible. I've seen, you, for. I've seen you post about that one. Oh yeah, dude. It's, it's, it's an alien. Like, Oh, it's so cool. And I had heard them uh, calling on past trips. This was in January when I went um, to stay just for like two weeks down at Oha and film some for them and just have fun. Cause it was the middle of winter. Yeah. So I went down there and it's the middle of rainy season. So I'd, I'd never been in the smack middle of rainy season and I got out actually just in time before a huge flood. Uh, but we found, we heard them and then we showed up to, we actually followed the calls that kept calling. So there were so many of them, there's no way we we're going to let them get away from us. So we followed them into the jungle and we found this little, this little breeding pond with three different adult bicolor. I think it was two males and one female. I want to say two males that were kind of croaking and then one female that was like 10 feet away. And the, both the males in the darkness had been trying to find this female. Yeah. And we just looked at him, photographed him, just huge. I think Marcos's profile picture on, on Instagram is him with it, like on his head, on a hat. It's just chilling. Like they get, to anyone that doesn't know, they get like, like this, this big. Like, They're yeah, huge. people can't see, of course, but five, five, six inches across the, the top. Yeah. Like, like this would be the body. Yeah. And then, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, and, and besides that, you know, their ecology and their natural history and uh, the fact that they're so popular, but we d- still don't know a ton about their actual day-to-day life. Yeah. And then you can talk for days about the uh, toxin that they have and how it's been used by indigenous, uh, the kind of psychedelic effects of it. I still don't remember the name of it. It's like, I don't know if you, you remember the name of the compound. It's, it's similar to DMT. Mm. Just take a but, look. Huh? Oh no, dude. <laughs> I, but I do know. I, I totally would have if, if yeah. I was prepared, but I've heard so many stories and like, I wouldn't do it with anyone, but a shaman and yeah. for like, like deep in there, like perfectly right. And how they actually do it. They, you wouldn't lick it. You would, um, yeah, you have to, it's kind of invasive. You have to like tie them up, like string them up with the oh, no. like, Yeah. <laughs> And then it's like it's sacrifice so the bicolor. <laughs> it's terrible, yeah. And and people like string them up, and then they they heat them just lightly um, with like fire, not burning them, but warming them, make them sweat essentially. And they're they sweat out the toxin, and then you take a little scraper or like a stick even, and get it on a little something, and then you dry that out to a powder, and then. Or no, 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 no. I'm I'm mixing it up with the river toad. You don't dry it out. Once you once you get it off, um, you cut yourself just a little okay. on your arm, a quick scratch, and then they put it in. So it's actually reaching your bloodstream. And then uh you you throw up and then you start tripping. Oh, hard hard pass for me. <laughs> yeah. I would do it, but uh only under the right circumstances. Yeah. What Although, if you do, I, you gotta that? put that on YouTube if you do. Oh, dude! If I had someone to film that I could just forget yeah. about, it, totally will. So there's so but, much we could probably talk about herps all day with the Amazon, but um, there's so much more. There's 
we were talking last time, uh, the uncontacted tribes, man, that fascinates the hell out of me. And you've had some, oh. some sort of experience with that, right? Yeah. So, uh, not the experience that not, not to the level that I'm still looking for, hoping for someday, but I've seen signs that, um, could lead, could, could point towards potential, uh, uncontacted activity. But, uh, where I stay typically, you know, in Peru and, and I'm a freelance videographer and, and I guess you could say wildlife filmmaker, but a very amateur one. I just, Sell my footage from of snakes and reptiles in the Amazon to like independent filmmakers that need snake film or reptile film and they don't have it for whatever they're making or doing. Stock so buy it from me. Yeah, yeah. You gotta start. Stock. You gotta start somewhere, man. Exactly, yeah, and it's it's still like so rewarding for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I forgot where I was going with that. Oh yeah, so so in Oha, we're about maybe like a six day boat ride upriver. And this, this is traveling very slowly. I don't know how many kilometers it would be, but it's not far uh, comparison, in, in comparison to how big the Amazon is. It's not far at all from uncontacted, but you don't see uncontacted there at all. Uh, there's still like little villages. There's a couple villages that you hit going upriver. You still have to travel for like a day and a half to get away from those villages. And then you go deeper and then it's, it's illegal to go further past this one point where there's like a, a small waterfall. Yeah. Um, there's no one that's like kind of watching you and making sure no one did it. It's like totally remote, but legally you couldn't go past there uh, to go look for them or try to have contact. But when I was, when I guide, so I guide for that company I first went down for now, uh, Tamandu Expeditions. And back in uh, July, we had an expedition to another river called Rio Malinowski. And it's, it's in a different area, same state, uh, Madre de Dios. It's a bit different. It's more of a rocky terrain. It's your classic, like, it looks like Tambopata, Rio Tambopata, which is the main river. Like, if you're a tourist that's rich or even just a, a tourist that's never been to Peru and you Google um, river expeditions, Peru, you would see Tambopata pull up. It's a national park down there. There's a very huge protected area. No one contacted in there, but there are uncontacted outside of there in the even deeper, darker rainforest. So we're on a river that kind of parallels it's just outside of Tambopata National Park. And uh, after that, it's, it's just the, like the Wild West, we kind of call it. Um, there's mining going on, there's logging, there's illegal hunting, and there's uncontacted. So you have all this happening just outside the park, and it gets worse and worse as you get deeper in there as far as the resource extraction yeah. and pushing around uncontacted. No one ever really knows exactly where the uncontacted are because no one can go in and stay with them or study them or track them. Yeah. Uh, we just have, we just have signs. So we were, we, one day we, we wanted to, my group wanted, they weren't all herpers. They were just people that were, had, most of them had been to the Amazon. Some hadn't. And everyone wanted to go on this huge, crazy deep hike to a culpa, mammal culpa, um, which is like to those that don't know, it's, it's a, a clay lake that holds a lot of minerals for mammals like tapirs. And um, you get, you get really every kind is, is there- of mammal. Are there a lot of uh, like parrots and stuff that go there too? Like yeah, tons of parrots. Yeah, the parrots. The parrots look it. That, I've, I've heard that of it from. Different. I've heard of it that from a parrot researcher. I think something similar mm. to it at least. Yeah, and and culpas are, are necessary, uh, and they're all throughout the Amazon. They're everywhere. Um, they they look. They're they're every animal needs them in the end. 
because predators go here and they wait for other mammals that come to lick those minerals. Like it's a great place to set up your camera trap to see jaguars because they're hunting the mammals that come eat there and the cause are there. Um, and Tambopata actually has a massive one. That's it's like the Serengeti, like when the, there's the mass migration in Africa and you get all the big trucks and like just a gross amount of people. Tambopata river has all that on the ma- their main culpa, which is off the river. It's right there. Cause a lot of rivers have them yeah. since these rivers, have eroded away yeah. the sides and there's it's it reveals clay yeah but we were hiking to one that only this dude Borian, uh, my friend knew about and we were, we were trying to reach it and it was deep it was probably like six or seven miles one way to get into it so we left like 5 a.m one morning uh go hiking in and like halfway through and we weren't even on a trail Borian is he's like a human gps he's just absurd it wasn't his land it was no one's land um, but he knew just from his couple times going to this culpa, uh, how to get there. So he has this machete. I was backing him up with the machete. Like, so we had to have at least two people to clear. And then we were all following it at like very slow pace through the jungle. Super fun though. And I found like no trail whatsoever, not even a game trail, uh, in the mud. There's like a, a human footprint, like this big, like small, probably yeah, a small child. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, probably, probably, probably a normal sized, um, child or, or juvenile, yeah. <laughs> uh, adult. Uh, so I, I was, I was like, guys, isn't this like huge? And I was talking to Borean about it and, and he's like, he's like, yeah, I mean, I see it all the time out here. And he, he said, it's, he said, I've never seen uncontacted, but I've, I've heard things that are not mammals that coordinated movement, like through the the jungle and you'd think you know if you're that close they're going to show themselves and pull something or or maybe just show look at you they'd be curious come out and just see what you're up to but he said he's never he's never seen him i took a picture of the foot which i sent to some anthropologists that basically just said i had terrible lighting and they couldn't tell (laughs) (laughs) it was like i had no flash and we're like in the dense understory so this is like terrible but you can see that it's a footprint and they're like you know, honestly, there's no way of knowing if this is an illegal hunter that's badass and hunts barefoot. Yeah. yeah. Or if it's, or if it's uncontacted, but I believe that it was uncontacted because of the direct, like the, no one else goes out to where we were yeah, unless was- they're hunting and hunters wear shoes out yeah. there. I mean, it's, it's crazy hostile on the ground. Yeah. There's huge thorns that are like six foot or not six foot. There's, they're like um, six inches yeah. tall. That's crazy. I would, I would just assume that that those were uncontacted. If anything, from my own imagination. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I choose to believe that it was uncontacted, but uh, I'm a believer for you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Someone believes me. <laughs> I'll send you the photo. Yeah. Send me the photo. I want to see that. That's, that's really neat. Um, yeah. And I really hope like they are the one thing that interests me far more than any kind of herps besides maybe some kind of new animal that's never been discovered in the amazon which i like to daydream about like like a new new, oh there's got to be um there's obviously plenty of reptiles and amphibians that haven't been discovered and properly described um there's got to be so many invertebrates just hundreds of thousands of invertebrates that haven't been described like beetles and stuff but i wonder if there's like there's probably some bird probably a few birds at least but I, I always wonder if there's like some kind of large, larger mammal, like a me- like megafauna that hasn't been found yet in, in the Congo yeah. or the Amazon, like some primate or something, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, possible, oh, yeah. It seems like I don't know anything about these areas, but it seems you look on look at the Amazon or Google Earth, it is a vast, it's like like 10 times the size of Texas or like like a third of the United States in land area of just primary forest. Oh yeah. I mean you can fit the whole country of Italy um into the Amazon. Yeah. It, it's it's just absurd. And and the next biggest jungle, the Congo doesn't even come close to the size of the Amazon. Really? So I, I didn't know that. I'm just looking at it, mm-hmm. Google Earth, I've always just always kind of looked about the same. But the yeah, actual... I'm I'm really bad with statistics. But uh, I was I was doing like some kind of uh, writing for voiceover on our show, and I looked up a bunch of statistics to roll out, and it was something like like the Congo could fit in the Amazon three times. Wow. Or something. It's just absurd. Don't quote me on that, but yeah, no, it's, I believe you. Yeah. Um, but I, I think the search for megafauna down there, I mean, most researchers would tell you that work in the Amazon, they'd be like, that's just, that's just hopeful, wishful thinking. I don't think I know anyone down there that would say that it's, they believe that there's something, but like, if you look at it from an outsider's point of view and, you know, most researchers are working out of one area for their entire careers. Uh, mostly at least or like one region they're experts in the whole amazon so i i think i i at least like to think that maybe there is something crazy and i read a paper on ResearchGate that some guy some some professor did about the the potential places anyone should look uh for any remaining undescribed megafauna he's like he's like russia um the the wilds of like russia um the our antarctica because we haven't even taken gp we haven't even taken satellite photos of the whole continent of antarctica yeah um and the amazon yeah so makes sense yeah you gotta imagine there are huge tracts of of uh amazon habitat that haven't been surveyed and like there's so many my understanding is for for a lot of species um in the amazon I don't know if it's the same, it would be the same way with a, a mammal that's more uh, mobile that would move around more, but there are like a lot of herps that are limited, even though there's no major like biogeographic uh, barriers or anything. A lot, there are species that are endemic to certain parts of the Amazon, right? Yeah, it very, I mean, people think when they go down that they're going to automatically be in range for like all the iconic Amazonian species. But it's just like anywhere else where you have to be in a very specific area for even for most species. Oh, well. I mean, like you get My thinking with that is just uh, with like a, there could be a, some mammal that has like this this geographic range, like somewhere, some small area in the middle of the Amazon where nobody has surveyed yet. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And as you have like, you know, you don't have mountains per se, besides the foothills of, of huge uh, of the Andes and stuff. but in the in the basin itself there's hills and there's very big hills and there's rivers too, I guess. That, rivers would would uh probably um uh restrict gene flow with a lot of herbs huh oh yeah yeah we actually when we were down there um in july or in june for the serpentine filming on the first night down there we found um the very first green vine snake that's been found on our side of the Las Piedras. Oh wow! And and that was an entire region. So like it was a range extension. Yeah. More more like more like the confirmation of an expected range 
um, but they had never been seen or, or at least recorded uh, in this part of the Las Piedras on this entire side of the river. We always thought we weren't even, I, I had never told the team or anyone that there was even a possibility to see a green vine snake because they just didn't exist there. Yes. So when we, we rolled up on this green vine snake at like 10 p.m. In a, on a trail that we walk all the time right by the lodge, uh, there's a huge dolt like roughed up green vine snake that was probably like almost six feet long just chilling in a tree like coiled up and i was like dude like what is that because its head was hiding so you couldn't tell immediately i was like it's a huge green snake and i thought emerald palm snake um that's just still super rare they're a rear fanged venomous snake pretty pretty dangerously uh venom uh venom compound in there too so i was like i was like dude it's green it's, it's an emerald green palm snake and then uh uh, Dylan, the herpetologist down there, came over and he's he's like, dude, what is that? And we stared at it for like five, ten seconds. It felt like forever, like trying to figure out if it was this palm snake or if it was a group of uh, of Bothrops bilineatus, the uh, palm pit viper, which is also absurdly rare. And yeah. we're, we're like, like, is this a is this a bush of green palm of, of palm pit vipers maybe? And then it pulled out its head a little. And we saw the head and we're like, oh my God, it's a green vine snake. And we just lost our minds more than we would have lost them in either of the other species. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. <clears throat> but but I think with the hills uh, that occur throughout the Amazon basin, like every single hill, like when you have even the slightest elevation gain in such a flat region, it leads to such different species Getting like per level. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. That's cool. So I, I feel like each individual, you know, kind of rise and fall in elevation could potentially have its own species. And when we're when we're down there herping, I'll be like with Dylan, and he knows a lot about invertebrates and um, pretty much everything down there that is creepy and crawly. And he we'd I'd like see scorpions and like little spiders and stuff. I'd be like, dude, what is that? He's like, oh, it doesn't have a name. It doesn't have a name yet. Yeah. And like he knows it's not undescribed, but just doesn't want to go through the nightmare to do it, just like anyone else. So yeah. there's right in front of us where we are, there's stuff undescribed. undescribed. Uh, I think you might find this interesting. I, I've been learning about like Earth during the Pleistocene, during those, there's 20 uh, major like glacial maximums when the planet got really cold and like. The glaciers extended all the way down into like, you know, north, like end of the United States. And during those glacial maximums, apparently um, much of the Amazon, the rainforest would restrict and like it would uh, it would shrink. And a lot of the area would be savanna. That's interesting, right? I don't know if you knew that. No, I didn't. That's crazy. I can imagine when, over the thousand. This is over the course of thousands of years. Right. And, and but when the glaciers would would recede again. Uh, and the planet got warmer, the rainforest would then expand again. And um, that's really wow. interesting. I never would have thought like much of the Amazon, I guess the heart of it always remained. It's, you know, it's always been there, but it was a little more subtropical during those glacial maximums. And it like, it was a little cooler and much of the landscape was Savannah. Wow. Just because of the impact of the glacier, the larger glaciers on the global climate. That's crazy. I, I did always wonder like, um, I know there's the snow glo snow globe earth, you know, before all of the glaciation events, like before even dinosaurs and during dinosaurs, there was like the period when earth got hit by uh, solar radiation, like solar bursts that would 
cause uh, an increase in like cloud cover yeah. and the cloud would cover clouds would cover like the sunlight for hundreds of years and yeah. the whole entire planet would just become frozen i think that was before the amazon was ever established but yeah. i always wondered like during actual ice ages where the whole planet is cooling but like it's not a snow globe um what they like what happened to the amazon it was still and then but it was it's still like the amazon and like the congo these these areas along the equator they they still re- had the biodiversity but surely it would have decreased and those but those areas they still had the highest number of species in the world likely because they had the least the glaciers had the least impact on those areas because they're so far away from the actual glaciers you know like in in north america <laughs> you know when those glaciers are extending down it's affecting so much um and it's affecting biodiversity it's reducing species and whatnot um yeah they, obviously they didn't they didn't even make it all the way down to the southern part of the u.s i guess they stopped somewhere in the mid in the midwest yeah and i guess it would have given them more time to evolve like species that didn't go extinct like other ones yeah up north and south they yeah. could have kept evolving yeah. turning into different stuff yeah. so cool super cool huh to think about that um, yeah I, I love learning about like Pleistocene, all all the dinosaur eras yeah everything pre-dinosaur cambrian dude really the off. more i learn about pleistocene the more i understand current ecosystems you know I've been trying to learn more and more about it because it like you're learning about like even stuff in Texas, um, like plant communities and, and like, the, you know, animal communities, a lot of, a lot of species were impacted by those glaciers in a very profound way. It's really, really cool. Um, That's the species that were around during the Pleistocene. It's far, those are fun to think about like the big ground sloths and shit. Oh yeah, man. I Africa, mean, the American it's... lion, the North American lion type cats and, yeah, I, I still don't fully understand how the giant sloth went extinct, like in the Amazon at least. Because, or, or the same with the saber-toothed cat. I, I mean, I, I think I need to, I'm sure we understand. I just don't understand yeah, personally. Probably an explanation. Yeah, it, it just doesn't make sense because it's not developed. And obviously humans were there forever. Uh, you know, since, since we reached South America, like they, they, we've been there. But I don't think that humans would have, left the amazon as primary as it is and yet wiped out entire species so it makes me wonder like what did make them go extinct there are some people that there's some i'm actually about to get the book i uh, was kind of reading a summary of this book where this guy thinks possibly like so there's still megafauna in africa a lot of the megafauna that we dream about being here the the big cats and the big elephant-like creatures what we call mammoths mastodon are still in africa but the, the, the thought is, let me get this right. I don't want to fuck it up. Um, it's like in Africa, humans have, humans originated in Africa and they've been living with those big megafauna for, for millennia. When they started moving around the planet and, and, and conquering new areas, humans as a whole, you know, over the course of thousands and thousands of years, when they would get to new areas, they would, they didn't have the same connection to the, to the species there. And they just wanted to utilize the resource and so like they got to North America, they crossed the land bridge or the Bering Strait um, during one of the glacial maximums. And they came down and there was all this megafauna and they think that, and there was, there was a good evidence for it. It sounded, I always hated the thought that like early humans were the cause of all these extinctions. Cause like, I mean, they, they were working with primitive tool, like weaponry and there, there was some uh, 
there's some really good argument for humans being the call, main cause of, of uh, the loss of megafauna. Because if it was like climate related, why didn't they disappear in Africa? Because anything climate related would have affected the globe equally. Um, mm-hmm. Something like that. It, I mean, I may not be getting it right, but hopefully for people listening, it's at least thought provoking, you know, to think about that sort of thing. Um, we, we'll, never, we'll never know for sure, but we can just, it's fun to think about. Yeah. I mean, I think about it almost daily. Like, how is it possible that saber-toothed cats went extinct without, I mean, when they they reached the Amazon and yet the Amazon has barely changed. There's plenty of prey. Like, did they just get out, out performed by jaguars and stuff? I I don't know. Yeah. And even as far as like woolly mammoths, um, I don't think humans, I'm sure that we played a part in, uh, in their extinction, but like they existed on uninhabited islands where we know humans never were up until like 3000 years ago. And I mean, that makes sense that they would have died out there eventually just from lack of genetics and, and resources, but it's just, it's just weird to think about. One thing to think about with the big uh, woolly mammoths and the mastodon, and I think there were like North American rhinos and a lot of those real big species they, they could possibly be um, overexploited by those early people because they have such a, such a slow uh, reproductive cycle, you know, that takes, you know, their, their gestation is like two years or something. It, um, and it's just, you know, they're not having, they're having one baby, you know, um, like over long periods of time and it just, they don't breed. They're just a slow breeding species. So they could potentially be, um, could have been overexploited by, by early humans it's really i don't know it's, it's hard to say um, yeah that makes sense i just wish we still had a freaking elephant in north america <laughs> Dude, you're telling <laughs> me some of the other stuff uh, i mean have you heard of the um the what do they call it i can never remember the the great plains like rewilding yeah oh, um, yeah kind of, kind of operation that people are pushing for i mean it's it's not as crazy i saw yet. that it, it and i don't I was, I'm kind of jaded on stuff like that because I know the reality of land ownership, private land ownership and yeah. all of that. But it's but, a fun idea, though. Well, yeah, this one I saw recently was much more uh, realistic than like bringing lions oh, okay. to the Great Plains. It was like For bison. Uh, just increase. Yeah, the bison, bringing bison like all the way down central United States, yeah. allowing them to, to inhabit like all the way from Texas to Canada in that corridor. But, and then um, some other species, just basically restoring throwing the prairie. prairie. The problem yeah. is a lot of a lot of ranchers they see bison as a threat to their livestock, uh, you know, way of way of living, whether their cattle industry. Mm. That's the problem. There's like you'll yeah. see people with signs on their on their fences, like uh, saying like stop stop the bison movement, or you know they don't want bison with their cattle because they're competing for resources. God, to me so... it's weird because like 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 i guess we have modern cowboys now but it, to me like the heart of a cowboy is like the early frontiersman you know western the great prairie with bison and but yet people nowadays you know that money is such a big deal um they don't care about those traditional species that you know the the first people like first europeans that set foot here they were you know, working with those bison um, or hunting those bison, uh, I guess some, you know, to a fault because they, you know, hunted them all the way to extinction. But 
to me, I just, if I was a, like into the cowboy culture, Western culture, I would fantasize about, you know, bison on the landscape rather than dumb cattle. Yeah, exactly. But it's those like are people, is- you can't knock them though, because that's how they make their living. And, and we were talking about how people are making a living. It's, it's, that is something very legitimate to think about. You know. it's true it's true but then there's also just a balance you know it's like do you sure, want to make a living long term like as humanity do we want to where we you know balance our cattle and our, our livestock along with the, the nature that was intended to be here yeah like bison and and healthy prairie ecosystems or do we just slash and burn it all till the end yeah and make as much profit as possible and you know make a living have have great families but only for a couple more generations maximum the resources expended yeah or do we figure out a a way just like the rest of nature has to to be self-sustaining yeah and i just don't think that people are getting they don't understand the complexity and yet the simplicity of of not of leaving the planet alone while also reaping its benefits it's it's just a balance everything is balanced it's a hard sell for some people you know they, they have their way of life and but yeah the truth is um you know a lot of people you know the the world in general would really benefit if we if we uh took you know these ecosystem services more seriously like we we, we gain a lot of value by conserving prairies because what they do for us you know they they conserve biodiversity and that benefits hunters and naturalists alike you know, without healthy prairies and prairie wetlands and, you know, duck hunters can't du- hunt ducks, you know, birders can't find birds. Um, you know, there's yeah. clean water, clean air, carbon storage, and all the rest. Um, yeah. All, um, and that's what people like farmers don't understand, at least, you know, the mass, obviously not speaking for everyone, but like you don't mass producers. Much. Yeah. Yeah, like they don't understand that it all comes back full circle to them. No matter how long it takes, you're going to be just as affected as everyone else. You might make a whole lot of money for a long time, but eventually the whole plate, the whole system is going to collapse. Yeah, and, and, and then we're all going to be screwed. Natural systems are uh, they're 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 pretty um, tough, but like it, they can take a long time to recover. You know. Yeah. Uh, they're yeah, very complex. Time. They're very complex. One thing I will say about like talking about like cattle and stuff, there is a big push now for um, like regenerative uh, like grazing practices and or uh, um, what do you call it? Rotational grazing where they, where they're actually using cattle uh, grazing cattle, how bison would have moved on the landscape, which benefits the prairie and the prairie wildlife. Um, they're not overgrazing um where they're not overgrazing the prairie and stuff like that's going to be really important i feel like more more ranchers going in that direction where they can still have a make a living grazing their cattle um but doing it in a way that mimics bison herbivory and benefits the land rather than you know degrade it um everybody's going to have bison on their land but if, if more people are grazing cattle you know with the rotational system um i feel like that's probably really valuable throughout the great plains you know? Oh yeah, no, that's a good idea. I've never heard of that one. Never heard of that. It's a, it's Whatever. a bigger it's a bigger thing now. Um, like like rangeland ecologists are really pushing for it. They you know they study these grassland ecosystems and that really a lot of a lot of plants they evolve to to large ungulates. You know, disturbing the soil just like fire is a disturbance that a lot of 
grass, grassland species rely on, um, you know, large uh, ungulates like bison and, you know, cattle, they provide a disturbance as well. Um, since bison are gone now, cattle can be used very beneficially on the landscape, but it has to be done properly. And it's, you know, probably more work because they got to move them around more, but um, that's, yeah, that's a lot to talk wow. about with rangelands. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so management of rangelands and the mismanagement of it is um, really interesting to think about. Um, we can move to uh, other international spots, countries, other countries you've been to herping mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah. So honestly, I've mainly stayed in the new world. Uh, Mexico is one of my favorites. A lot of herpers it's, it's, I feel like it's one of the most untouched uh, to an extent, you know, it's, it's a massive country and a lot of it is just as, just as bad as the United States, as far as uh, ruining our natural resources. But a lot of Mexico is still just a gem like Chiapas, Sonora, thanks to the drug cartel or Sinaloa, uh, thanks to the drug cartels and, and just all the mountainous ranges, like talk about endemics. I mean, it's absurd. And I still, I have barely even touched the tip of the iceberg like if there was a tip of the iceberg i've literally just like poked it but i'm i'm still just so stoked on mexico dude i'm stoked on it too i'm only in one time i went deer hunting there when i was a kid my my cousin used to have a rant uh deer release down there and back then i really didn't know much it was just in the northern part is basically south texas but i've been learning more about the biodiversity mexico and i want to say just because it has a lot of the same uh species like uh families of, of plants and animals, animals that we have here, but more like, but more unique and more uh, like diversity and like just the amount of endemics, like talk about orchids and, and birds and lizards and rattlesnakes and king snakes. It's insane. It's insane. Oh, yeah. Like it, it's just abronia, the uh, alligator lizards, um, just so much cool shit down there. Yeah, it's, it's just jaw-dropping, jaw-droppingly gorgeous. I mean, everything from the habitat to the species that aren't herbs to the to the snakes themselves. I mean, everything about Mexico is so different. And I was just there like less than two weeks ago uh, visiting my mom. She lives in central Mexico, just a bit outside of Mexico City. She's oh, in uh, Guanajuato. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, so I was down there looking for Aquiles whenever I had the time for Talos Aquiles. Uh, beautiful little viper. Didn't find any, but what's the it, common name I, for it? Uh, it's like the Caretarin smoky or, or dusky rattlesnake. Okay, I want to say, uh, something like that. But it is, it is like one of the most underrated rattlesnakes on the face of the planet. And there's a lot of underrated rattlesnakes. It's like as diverse as uh clobber eye. Like as far as this looks, it could be green minty green with like crazy little black speckling or it could be like just black and gray like zero saturation in it it's a it's a crazy snake and it's it's a high elevation it's above like 2000 meters and i was actually in like the i i found out from a friend didn't even know until i was there that my mom lives in the aquilas belt like smack in the middle uh where they they range and just maybe 20 minutes from her, her place is just this gorgeous canyon and i was scouting there for like i only had a day or two and i actually got to get out to the canyon but gotta go there in the rainy season or, or like in the late spring or something because it's gotta be just popping and i was looking at a uh, naturalist because i had no no contacts in that state 
uh, just to look for what species people are seeing. And there's crazy garter snakes I've never heard of. Uh, weird thamnophis, you know. That's the cool and part for me about Mexico is a lot of a lot of genera that we're familiar with, you know, and a lot yeah. of families that we're familiar. But but way cooler, you know, because it's new and there's more species. Yeah, it's like just when you think that you're like an accomplished herper that's seen all the garter snake species, you learn about Mexico. Yeah. You're like, oh my god, and king snakes, and then we even get got creepos actually where she is, yeah. and it's like deserty weird kind of mountains but there's creepo um, yeah it's just absurd yeah oh yeah they were black-tailed i think i guess um, mexico just just a really quick like what influences the diversity there it's got to be it's like a mountainous area closer to the equator it's got those two it's got those two things going for it i guess that's yeah because like if the amazon had mountains could you imagine like real like huge mountain ranges. Could you imagine what the Amazon would be like diversity wise? I mean, dude, the, when you look at it, like the foothills of the Andes, which is, you know, the, the only mountains that kind of like at least border the Amazon and that's how the Amazon ends and how it's fed. Like, yeah, the, the biodiversity in like Monu national park, which is the, the foothills of Peru um, where you go down into the Amazon, it's pretty much mountainous Amazon. And it's just yeah. crazy. Like this, my friend, Pablo Venegas, he's, um, Peru what is he herping Peru on Instagram okay and he finds so many new species he's described like dozens of new species of lizards especially from Manu and surrounding areas it's just it's just craziness I mean back to Mexico one talking about lizards in Mexico the scloperus the spiny lizards freaking crazy man there's one uh scloperus minor I think it's like it's like uh electric blue I think blows my mind Mm -hmm. it's like and it's the thing that frustrates me the most is I live, I live in a state that borders Mexico, and like there's cool, cool shit just right there, and yet it's just so the hype is, is so much that I'm too scared to go down, you know, because <laughs> got to get through the border towns safely. Yeah, it's it's kind of um, it's definitely like risk for reward uh, to the max down there, but uh, I can say I went through Tijuana. Uh, two weeks ago to get there on a budget. I like flew to San Diego and then drove to Tijuana, oh, shit. <laughs> walked across the border um, and then flew out of Tijuana and then into, so that I was doing only national flights and it saves like hundreds of dollars. No way. Yeah. It's really, a really good way to do it, but it, it felt really safe. Obviously yeah. like feeling safe and being safe is different, but, yeah. <laughs> um, and I haven't been to like Sinaloa yet or Chiapas, yeah. but it felt and and the state I was in is still completely cartel controlled. Yeah. And uh the city we were in, San Miguel de Allende, that one is I mean, it's cartels on it. They're moving around throughout there. But as long as they're at peace, they're not like battling with another cartel at the same time. Um, you're pretty much good. Like they they're not gonna they're not gonna target you. Like what business would they have with you, right? Yeah, exactly. Like they have bigger fish to fry. Yep. And so unless you like go trespass on their land without permission. I feel like you're pretty good, you know, stuff a couple extra bucks in your wallet for bribes, you know, from to cops and stuff. But, and, and there are checkpoints like cartel checkpoints and we ran it. The, the sketchiest time I've ever had in Mexico probably was in the Yucatan. Um, in like, really, I figured that would be the safest area. It is pretty safe, but when you get inland, it is also cartel ran and it's also not only cartel ran, but it's, it's very, it's very Mayan. 
and uh there's oh. like when you go inland like maybe two to three hours everywhere past that we went into quintana roof to go night hiking and then do some road cruising and uh you get to places where no one even speaks spanish they just speak i forget the language i don't think it's called mayan but they're mayans and they really don't like white people oh wow uh, which makes sense and uh they like not like they're gonna like target you or anything but it's an uneasy feeling just knowing that everyone around you uh for the most part is not very interested or happy with your presence like we we went and hiked uh uh ruin those clothes during we were like in smack the middle of covid when i was there it was like august 2020 and uh right when kind of restrictions lifted so we're like we're going to mexico and then we went and they had roadblocks like made with little rocks like from the cenotes you know there's like that grainy rock out there like in yeah. these and they would like build walls across these like little tiny villages um to keep out anyone that's even traveling through the village because also mayans are not very exposed to out outside pathogens so covid affects them really heavily especially like their elders which they adore because a lot of them are shamans and stuff and um and and they just have closer relationships with family and stuff so we showed up in the van and we bribed them to just get through their roadblock and then we were the the mayan ruins that we were looking for were their property of of their little village so we had to we got the mayor to come I guess I don't think they're technically mayor, but he was the equivalent. And uh, he, they sprayed down the car with disinfectant, first of all, like the outside of the van. And then we, we gave them money to just let us through and let us go to their, their ruins. And they would only let us stay. It was already like 4.30 PM. They would only let us stay an hour past sundown. And uh, oh, so we showed up and the mayor uh, escorted us, like pissed off the whole time, like really. And, like like it was just very like uncomfortable he, he was not happy with our president like he was like god i'm really letting them do this right now and he didn't like us and uh we he was like rushing us like pushing us basically into the the mine the, the ruins to find our snakes and get out of there yeah and um we we ended up one of my friends who who wasn't uh in the smartest mindset flew his drone which really pissed him off because they never said he could fly his drone and they told us to just get out. We had to leave. And then when we were we were leaving, and um, we realized it's it's also like eight thirty at this point. Sun had been down for a little while, and we had to cross back into the state of Yucatan before from from Quintana Roo before the uh, curfew hit, which was ten p.m. And we're like two hours from the border, and there's like a checkpoint. There's people there that were checking to make sure. And if you don't reach the the checkpoint in time, like you just go to jail, Damn. or, or any anything they want really they could do so we like we're like flooring it to get to the state to, to the um border but we're seeing like snakes on the road and we're and like with a car full of herpers and we're like oh there's a simus on the road and then there's a uh snailing snake and a bunch of dors and we like we're stopping for him like oh we got a little bit of time and then we showed up at the border and it's like 10 15 and they were really pissed and they almost just didn't let us go and they were gonna like arrest everyone it was it was a shit show but we got through somehow with money and um, got back home but of course like as you know i'm sure it's like been it has been blown out of proportion yeah but yeah certainly has but yeah like there's it's not like there's not that risk like you'd be ignorant to go down there and think that that like you know you couldn't run into trouble 
but for me my requirement like to go herping um down there is like bring someone that speaks spanish fluently because yep. i'm not fluent and I, I can get around but not i can't walk t- like you know talk myself out of a, a checkpoint very well like a cartel checkpoint or off of like if i'm on private property on accident so i'll get someone you know that knows the area and like speak spanish and that's really it and then have like money saved for bribes and and yeah. you're you're good like i know guys that have been like actually do you know tim Warfel? yeah yeah, yeah i know like one of his friends was i believe kidnapped a while ago like a long time ago uh like overnight i don't think tim was but someone was kidnapped and um they they got him back safe and sound God. you know but like it, it is like a re it's it's a reality but it's it's honestly worth it with a little bit of uh pre-planning and thinking ahead for me I've, been, I've, I've talked to people um that grew up in mexico and they they most most tell me that if you're out in the daytime it's safe practically anywhere it's just going around at night is when you run into trouble generally speaking yeah yeah and the, you know the more money it looks like you have the nicer your car rental is the the more better clothes you're wearing the more yes. trouble you're gonna get in makes sense but um we were in so so speaking of other countries we we're uh in guatemala in october for like two weeks filming another serpentine episode and uh that was like very refreshing refreshingly safe and refreshingly just mind-blowing is you know right when you think that like oh yeah i know mexico is mind-blowing i know south america is great i know costa rica but then like guatemala is a whole nother hidden gem really it's just we went to like three different locations and every every location had like a whole laundry list of its own endemics of which multiple we found at each place we didn't get all of our targets but pretty damn near close we did like broke records for our guy uh andres like four neotropical rattlesnakes in the dry forest which is the driest portion of central america uh it's it's called montagua valley and it's where the Guatemalan beetle lizard lives. Okay. The most endangered venomous lizard in the world. Uh, there's only like 600 as far as the 2017 consensus. Uh, sounds like there were around 600 estimated uh, still existing. And so we stay on a reserve, got a ton of crazy desert species there, which is weird because you're surrounded by like, you can see it on a clear day, uh, tropical mountains that are like to the left and right of you on each side. But then you're in a valley where it's just, cacti that are like 10 feet tall and just it looks like you're back in the jurassic but dry parts (laughs) and then we would drive like four hours to the caribbean where it's just like costa rica basically we get eyelash vipers and um, hognose vipers jumping pit vipers it's so cool guatemala is i think going to be the next underrated country that like becomes mainstream honestly especially with andres how badass of a guy he is like showing everyone he's like mainly he's really the main contact for most herpers i'm sure you know andres Navales. probably heard of him i've heard i've heard of him yeah yeah he's he's like he he's really filling a niche right now with with uh guiding herpers all around the world yeah. uh in guatemala because he's the one dude that can do it yeah. uh really and and he's good on social media like he's he's following all the modern trends and how to get your audience and he's a great photographer so on top of everything he can show you how to take bomb photos yeah so um with him like man we just killed it guatemala is going to be it's going to become popular i think and i hope it does because it deserves it yeah um 
we're about an hour in. Let's talk about the the filming stuff you're up to um, before we end here. The the serpentine stuff. Like, what do people need to know about it? Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so so serpentine. I'm sure it can be kind of the whole idea. Like when you hear little bits and pieces, it can be confusing. No one really knows what we're up to. But the the gist of serpentine, what we've thought of. Um, I've always wanted, so I've always seen Austin Stevens, you know, Snake Master, Crocodile Hunter, all the stuff we grew up on YouTubers, and I always thought, you know, if I could ever get a platform, if I could ever go out and film this stuff on my own and do it, I would try to blend cinematics and and these amazing shots and storytelling with also the reality and the the fun like human human aspect and anthropologic cultural aspect of herping and just travel and incorporating it with just the whole idea of world travel and how really trying to rope in everyone possible, the widest audience possible, but also just, just blowing people's mind, making them feel something really. Without being too sensational all at the same time. Exactly. That's what I, that's the next thing I was going to say is doing all of this without with, while being ethical, teaching ethical practice and maintaining an audience, but being, non-sensational and that's like near impossible like you know any network any big network discovery uh not geo even these days animal planet we lost them a long time ago uh they'll tell you like you can't do this these days you know with people's attention spans with with what they're used to seeing you can't do it without sensationalism it's not possible and that's what crazy youtubers will tell you and it's true that anyone that has a huge audience will tell you that and that's because they have a huge audience that they've learned it but I just, I don't think it's the only way. And because when we get this feeling of just, just such dopamine rush and such happiness and connection with the earth and our friends and the herps and everything around us, and just that drive the motivation really to live. Uh, when we get that, like, I think it can be transferred because we're not sensationalizing it when we're living it. So why should it have to be sensationalized to the rest of the world? I want to name drop and, and give evidence to your point here. Um, you know, we all know Noah Fields, he is very successful on YouTube with just going out, finding snakes, no sensationalism. And I think that's, he is evidence that it can be done, you know, and he's continues to grow. So. Yeah, I agree. He definitely did give me hope in that area. And I, I also, you know, we've all made mistakes uh, in our past, like as we grow and I've definitely been sensational and tested the waters with that. And it's true. You get hits like it's like fishing the right way. And like, like with a, with a bunch of beautiful, I don't, I don't know how to fish beautiful, like, um, worms and yeah, stuff, yeah. bass, like fancy stuff. It, yeah. Yeah. Fancy stuff. And you do get more fish, but it doesn't mean that it's not it's the only way just as incredible. Yeah. That it's the only way. And I, I just think that it feels like the whole planet really is the, the whole, the whole human population is just at a, a crossroads where we're honestly like changing our our mindset in society to appreciate realism and, and just true emotion over, you know, like even from, I was thinking this the other day when I was watching the news in the gym, like I never watched the news on my own, but yeah, what are you I was doing like, watching the news, man? what are you doing watching the news? <laughs> Dude, I'll watch, I'll watch like vice and like, you know, yeah. good reporting, but I won't watch like CNN or Fox or yeah, any of exactly. the big ones. Yeah. But yeah, when I'm like passing by these TVs, I was listening to their voices and the reporter, reporters' sens- voices are so... Sensational is just pouring out of their voice. Yeah, it's like, even if you like, cut out what they're saying, like the, the topics that they're touching on, 
their literal demeanor is like Terrible. i'm a reporter i'm fitting what reporters the, the way they've talked the way they construct their sentences for decades and that's what i'm supposed to do because i'm a reporter so i i was like you know i wonder how like they would be so much more successful nowadays especially with the generations that matter like ours uh that you know for the future uh like if they just got real with us like just sit down don't script your shit and and tell us what's really going on why do you think people i want to start a podcast i'm tired of the sensationalism i just want to talk to people one-on-one -on -one and and see what people really are you know no no sensational bullshit exactly and and i'll agree that it, it is hard like you know through filming we're done with our our season now so i can i can definitely reflect and i have been on on our filming and how we progress and what the challenges uh, back and forth just everything but when it came down to how we were on camera it is hard you know to to not be like okay i'm a science communicator and and like I have so many people looking, I have to ask for their attention the way that I talk, and I have to, I have to just act like catching the snake is the hugest deal. But you really just check yourself. You know, it's a matter of of practice and conscientious thinking, and and remembering really the goals that I had set when I first pitched this show, yeah, which was you know what what I had just explained, yeah, and and remembering that through every moment, and then it becomes natural, and and just to think, you know when whenever me and you get out herping someday like the way that our our herping day goes like just it's just like just have that but now show the most interesting and educational and captivating moments of that day rather than going out thinking i'm gonna create these moments and i'm gonna i'm gonna make this for the show you don't do that you know you just say i'm filming a show as i go out here so i need to be thinking like as a cameraman and as a filmmaker and and what needs to be caught for the story but I don't need to be thinking, what can I do? What, how can I change this story to be more entertaining? I don't, I don't think that that's the trick. I think there is a conversation to be had about, um, you know, more sensational uh, YouTubers. And to me, like, I just have to make sure when I, when I make a judgment on some of these uh, more sensational personalities, am I, am I judging because I'm a, I'm a naturalist myself and I'm a herper? I, I need to, you have to judge that from like the non wildlife person. Like what is a net pot? What, what is a net result of the sensationalism on non wildlife people? And I think honestly, I, I used to not think this, but I still feel like even some of the more sensational YouTube personalities have a net positive impact on society. Ones with the larger followings and just getting more people to think wildlife is cool. You know, and it, but it's hard to make that judgment as a wildlife person because you we're real nitpicky and we're like, oh, well, that's, you know, it's that's, that's wrong, not, that's, that's wrong, that's wrong, or that's you know, this animal isn't that crazy, or that this, that, and the other. And but I, 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 I try to think about it more deeply now, and I, I still think some of them do have a net positive impact. Like Steve Irwin was very sensational, and obviously he had a net positive impact on wildlife and people. That's a good point. And, and uh, yeah, I, I believe that as well. Uh, it's obviously case by case, yeah. but as, as like, yeah, I, I like as far, for example, like Ricky Mac, uh, if you know him, I freaking love that guy. That is so cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's great. Like he's, he's, you know, been somewhat sensationalist, at least not in like the way he presents himself, but just what he does, like running like through the bush, catching perennies, you know, doing totally like, 
unnecessary animal catching. It still, I think, has a net positive and interesting people um, get getting them interested in caring and yeah. just, you know, thinking about these animals and that they exist and that they have a place on our planet. But then my worry comes when this is like not regarding Ricky, this is like back to United States audiences and just, just like younger audiences uh, across the world. Like, what are they going to think when they see me jumping on a Cayman and uh, wrangling it out and, and like, you know, sitting on it to catch it <laughs> and, and like talking about how it can shred you to bits versus what are they going to think if I, if I told them, you know, inform them, like we, we're catching this Cayman, it takes some force. Uh, we're going to, we're going to have to kind of jump on it, but then tell them the reason we caught it reason that we're looking at it what what their huge crazy scary teeth are for yeah um that i i feel like it's just like everything in the entire universe it's balance it's balance yeah it's all about balance and finding a finding the sweet spot you got to find the the conservation sweet spot you know i don't know how y'all did in y'all's first season but if it if it didn't go as as good as you hoped you know maybe you you lean into the little more little more sensational but nothing that's going to undermine the value um and the authenticity of it you know yeah yeah and it's this whole season has been a struggle of like um you know debates and conversations and and looking back at our footage and um just thinking you know pull back on the sensationalism put the pedal to the metal on the sensationalism um just be how we are anyways or a, a myriad of different ways that we can act and it's been, I, I wouldn't say that we have done any less uh, amazing than I, I had hoped. Like it, it, it was 10 times better than I honestly had hoped. Like as far it, as it went well, the first season. Yeah, it went great. I mean, I won't know, you know, as far as engagement until it, it runs, which will hopefully be in probably February or March. Oh, so it's okay. I was about to say, I, have, I didn't, I have no knowledge of where to watch it or anything. You can go ahead and just give that information out if you want. Yeah, so when it does run, uh, we're in post, just finishing post-production right now. I have Mike actually flying out next weekend to do some final voiceover. And then uh, we're going to be sending out the episodes, our, our rough cuts to the network. They're going to send back notes on each episode. Then we're going to do all those revisions and then relaunch it. So probably in February, because I'm gone like the whole month of January almost in Peru. Um, so that once it runs, we're then they're pumping money. The money that we could have chosen essentially for uh production or for marketing we chose it for marketing because who cares if we make a great season that people are gonna love herping if no one sees it yeah. so uh they're gonna pump a ton of money into marketing as long as they follow up on on our, their promises and contracts and all that fun stuff what's the network called uh it's called nature and adventure.com that's where so you, it's actually if you want to watch your season you go to nature and adventure.com that's right yeah that's so that hopefully it's, it's, it's hopefully up right it grows now. that hopefully that becomes a big deal because obviously most people uh consume their media through youtube and similar social media platforms like who, who knows about nature and adventure.com you know really no one because they haven't even marketed it yet you know if you're involved in it then you know about it but they haven't even like if you google it it shows up but you don't find it and you got to start some, you got to start yeah. off at some point and their goal is just for it to be like youtube but for more more organized productions and and like 
Yeah, um, kind of like a YouTube Netflix hybrid, really okay. closer to the Netflix because it's a subscription based. That's how they're making money. It doesn't have ads. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and and then um, it's it's also not like anyone can upload. It's it's specific contributors Contri- okay, uh, are going to be like just like kind of Netflix or Paramount Plus or Disney Plus. Like uh, they have very specific channels, and you okay. would look up like content. It's it's really Netflix for nature and adventure oriented content and what it eventually the hope is that it'll one day be like on par with netflix but just wildlife like when you buy the package deal with all these different streaming platforms that's on there too yeah that's yeah it. exactly that's that's like the goal yeah so like when you're subscribed then you be you're able to get uh all of these different all, all of the content that's exactly. on the side on the network so and it's also the cool thing um, is is they allow you know sponsors you can have for all of your stuff. So we have some sponsors for ours like Phoenix Lights if you know them. Have, like I a, only have Phoenix headlights. They're badass. Nice, yeah. I'm so they sponsored them. us, which is pretty sweet. That's, that's pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. So they're because you know I was I wrote them an email and so did Sean and Sean's influence helps. But we we're like we all herpers like you don't even know about a whole community that uses your headlights for crazy stuff so if you want us to plug it and use your content or your, your products that's really what the show is aiming to be leveraged off of like to, to allow funding for yeah. uh future episodes and stuff is is sponsors and people you know giving us gear you know funding the actual show yep. uh, to, to produce it and all we do is plug in we don't write do ads or anything we just use their stuff just like we would anyways which is cool yeah so yeah it's, it should be good but um we're i think that we hit the mark honestly after i actually just finished guatemala besides voiceover i finished the editing for that we had three episodes out of guatemala um in the the dry forest the cloud forest and the caribbean oh, so the cloud nice. forest is like all the, the yellow blotched palm pit vipers and stuff and the both wreck is bicolor guatemalan palm and then uh the caribbean dry and i think it's i honestly like the whole season is nine episodes i believe and it's it's gonna definitely if it gets out there if, if people are able to find it and see it then i know that once it's in front of people then they're going to be engaged like and they're going to like it. You, you yeah. feel good about it. So y'all went to Guatemala, Mexico, where else? Uh, we actually we actually cut the Mexico one. We didn't have funding for it. Okay. So we did uh, Col- We did Colorado, um, Southeast Colorado. We looked for the thread snake, that really rare one, uh, which we found two of, which is crazy. Uh, perfect for the episode. And then we did a road trip from uh, exploring the morphology of Southwest speckled rattlesnakes, like how they change. Oh, Phenotypes. Yeah. yeah, like went to seven different mountain ranges uh, throughout California and Arizona. So we did that for that was two episodes. So there's three. And then we did Peru, which is two episodes because we found so much. Yeah. And then Ecuador is two episodes. There's a frog and amphibian only episode because we found mm-hmm. so many amphibians down there. That's where Glass Frog Central, like just craziness as far as amphibians. And then there's normal Ecuador where we found reptiles and snakes. And then, uh, there is Guatemala for three. So it's actually like 10 episodes. Yeah. And that's real cinematic and like, like really high quality film. Uh, For the most part. So we, we did, which was my vision. It wasn't my vision was I tried to not be unrealistic with what we had. It was like, um, 
we're going to film, you know, 4k when we can, we're going to film with mirrorless cameras and yeah. macro lenses, gimbals, drones, but we're also not going to be carrying around huge rigs when we're out hiking all night looking for yeah, snakes. Right. Yeah. So uh, the way I ran it uh, was a GoPro on all of our backpacks. So like on a shoulder mount. So that yeah. the second you see an animal before you even yell out, you hit play on the hit record on the GoPro and then yeah. you can get the full experience yeah. uh, just on actual. And then we have our cameras. I had my camera um, on a carabiner, like strapped to my shoulder as well. So that once I can immediately catch the stuff without adjusting my settings and stuff. But then once the second that I can, I pull out my camera and I'm recording high quality footage uh, through my, my Nikon Z6. Yeah. And then um, Michael has a, he had a decent camera, but we had huge humidity problems with it um, in the, in the jungles. So we didn't use it for a ton of stuff unless we're in dry areas. But then Trent came to Guatemala and he was a great cameraman for us. Trent Adamson. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah, he he's really good at he films for uh, he filmed actually some episodes for Ricky Mack when they were in Australia. Oh wow, that's cool. Yeah, and then he filmed for uh that dude in Florida. Chandler. I don't his name. Who? Chandler. Chandler, yeah. Chandler, yeah, I'm Chandler. Stuff. Yeah, he's okay, Chandler. sweet. Yeah, so like he has experience. Chandler's and, uh, wildlife. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Chandler's wildlife. Cool guy. Yeah. So um he we he got really good footage in Guatemala with like some nice wide angle 2.8 lenses and yeah. he got a new sony a7 III. so the whole thing was filmed on like nikon z6 sony a7 III yeah. drone gopros tell me this uh, um if, if it doesn't pan out with the this network do y'all have the like could you turn that into a youtube series yeah i've kind of been thinking about that Not a bad question know. to ask you i don't i don't no, I, I think um, it, it is. a. I've, I've talked a lot to Michael about this. Like, are we, you know, say things go under and they don't follow through or just the their whole network, you know, gets inundated with other networks and yeah. there, because there's so much happening right now and they just never get off the ground. Yeah, we might put it on YouTube, but that, I feel like that would be like our, that's our like last resort. That's, that's like a throwaway option. I bet honest. That's a good backup plan though, because YouTube obviously is very legitimate. I mean, people uh, like Chandler, for example. I mean, he's killing it on YouTube, and he's. I go, yeah. I do shows just to give you an uh, an idea on the impact uh, Chandler has. I do shows for Crocodile Encounters still, and I'll go to a birthday. We do these birthday parties where I show up with a baby alligator, baby crocodile, snakes, and stuff, and I do like an hour show, and then it's all fun for the kids. I've I've been to several birthday parties where the reason the kid had us go out was because of Chandler's wildlife, literally because wow. that is like for a lot of young kids around, like their Steve Irwin is, you know, Chandler's wildlife and, and similar people, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Actually see it firsthand, the reach that some of the bigger YouTubers have. That's crazy. YouTube, yeah, I've... YouTube is legit too, but this, this new thing, if it sticks, I mean, it may, it may be pretty badass that y'all get, y'all got in on it right off the bat. You know, this nature and adventure, or that's what it's called, right? Yeah. Nature yeah, and nature adventure. adventure. Yeah. If that yeah, I think it has potential. And you know, y'all got in like, on it at the beginning, you know. That, that's the thing. That's honestly what made it worth it for me is when Forrest reached out. First of all, is Forrest, you know, Galante. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, this guy wants me to make a show. Regardless of what you think about was, him, he's a big, na- big name in media. So it's that's that's cool. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, you know, regardless, uh, it's it's a huge opportunity potentially if he cares enough. 
and he was very attentive to like my questions. We got on video calls and stuff and talked about it a long time before we actually made any decisions. And I got, I made a pitch deck. I pitched it to him and his team and it just seemed very legitimate. So that made me feel comfortable in doing it. But um, as far as like our backup, you know, if it, if it does, because there's just a huge chance that, yeah. you know, startup networks are going to fail no matter what. Yeah. Uh, then, and that's why like Forrest hasn't even said anything. You wouldn't even know that he's doing this because he's keeping it completely under wraps. Like as far as it's, it's, it's okay that I talk about it because it's not like confidential, but he's yeah. not actively driving anyone there because the site is still under construction. You can go to it and see episodes and stuff on there, not mine, but other people's. Uh, but it's not up to parts. It's still like coming down every week, every other week, like to, oh, for no construction sense. and stuff. Um, but and when he does he start does, putting it out, he has a huge following. Yeah, yeah, it's huge. So when he does put it out, and when people start subscribing, word starts firing around on top of marketing money they're putting into it, it should be a big deal. But um, and and we have a lot of money saved for marketing, like for us that we didn't use for for yeah. production, which is just. It, it's got it i can't imagine that it doesn't doesn't have a great impact but if it doesn't our backup before youtube is to use uh to, to pitch with our season we already have all polished and done by that point to pitch it to to like netflix or um to what is the silverback films um okay. oh, so you're like you're thinking go beyond youtube yeah like to me youtube not that i would be ultra disappointed to put it on youtube but youtube is like a throwaway for us like yeah. it's like no matter what people are going to see what we filmed rather we're, we're going to put it on youtube if it fails but that would be like we never get any return probably well Maybe the thing with the we... two the way y'all y'all filmed it like an actual when you when you're doing a youtube it's like a thing you start and like over the years you gain an audience and like you're filming year to year you actually have already have a season so it'd be weird to just like toss it on youtube with no following exactly and that's that's, that's my whole thing. thing i got you if one yeah. of us had a big yeah. following then that would be much more yeah, i probably would have just yeah. done it for youtube yeah but like i have like 600 subscribers so and, and i've enough. like yeah some of my videos people aren't just gonna flock when you post it on there you know yeah yeah and i feel grow like honestly yeah when i see people post amazing stuff that don't have huge followings like they don't get any kind of traction like i've seen people like some of the very best herping videos i've ever seen like from um like Saunders Drucker yeah. and, you know, Joe Ferrance, Smell Logic, even like they uploaded a ton still. And they, they never breached past like 10K, 15K. Herpers love it. Herpers love that shit. Like you talk about Saunders. I, I enjoyed the heck out of his channel. I've, I've followed for a long time, but like not, it's harder mm-hmm. to reach non Herpers with, with content like that. I feel like, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so there is a chance, like, I'm not saying it's impossible, but, um, there's a chance that it would catch on, but it's not worth the risk for me unless we're just, it's not even like a thought on our radar yeah. and we're just going to throw it away onto YouTube so people can see it, but we're not, we know we're not 99% chance going to make anything, make a following. We might get a few thousand views and people will say they liked it, but it's not going to lead to anything. I would much rather take it and present it to a big network, a big name and just like go balls deep on hoping that it leads to something legitimate yeah. uh, before we do that. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. We'll <clears throat> anything else you want to, anything else? Uh, I mean, I don't have a huge following on this podcast, but uh, for people listening, anything else you want to say about it to you can point them in the right direction or, you know, mm, we, covered, honestly, we covered quite a bit, but. Yeah, I would just bring, so I said a lot, 
probably gets jumbled and jambled up. But if I had to overarch my entire goal yeah, yeah. this show, um, it's that I, I want to bring people, I want to make people care and, and not just care about wildlife or the planet, but I want to make them feel as close to the universe and to themselves and to their friends and to everything that herping is and the outdoors are uh, as, as possible, as humanly possible with yeah. the media that we have today. You know, that's, that's really my goal. I want people to, I want them to like laugh and even tear up and, and take action against um, that resource extraction and destruction of our planet. But also I just, I want them to feel like the joy that we feel when we find our targets and when we go on these trips from like when you're in a hostel after a long night, drinking beer with your buds to when you're failing and you can't find your target for five days at a time and um, just everything in between. Yeah. So that's, that's my goal with this. I want to add to that, you know uh, it's, it's like hunting and fishing, but a lot of people don't know what herping is. People know hunting and fishing and birding. They don't know what herping is. So this is a way to show people there's yet another way to experience nature that's not just hiking. You know, there's another way to pursue, to hunt something, but in this way, it's, you're looking for a species to photograph. You're taking home a photograph rather than, um, you know, an actual, well, some people collect, but yeah, we're, we're, we're preaching, uh, you know, more photography type, you know, non-invasive herbing methods, um, I guess, but you know, not that collecting is it's, it's an own, its own con- conversation, you know, but, um, you're just yeah. one thing I feel like people can appreciate is um, if they if they watch it, it does well is, you know, this is like for people that have never heard of herping. It's like, wow, there's like you can go out and look for reptiles and learn about their ecology and like, you know, go to different areas and target different species. And people just mm-hmm. don't know what herping is, you know? Yeah. And it's it's just I feel like now is the perfect time because I don't know if you feel like this, but the herping is definitely growing at an exponential rate at this moment, you know, like every season there's hundreds more people interested in herping, trying herping on their own. You know, I'm, I'm sure like, like all of us people that have been doing it since we were kids, we're getting messages more and more and from, from kids and teens and even like older adults that are like, how do I do what you do? And like, you know, I, I found this snake the other day and that used to happen like once in a blue moon for me. But now it's like every single week all there are the people, yeah, all the time. And a so lot of I people feel like now is, is a lot of people are scared stuff. of that. A lot of people are scared of more herpers because it like spots and, and such. But it's so good for herbs that more people are interested in herping. Yeah, and so and that's where the ethical part comes in. Yeah. You know, us doing responsibly and showing people like you know, hey, your spots a couple times a year, uh, you're, you're flipping sites and stuff. Just everything that comes along with ethical herping, which yep, is. Yep. You know, you don't realize how much it is. And y'all cover that. Y'all do, y'all do cover some of that in the show. Yeah. Every single episode that it's, it pertains, which is really whenever you're herping, then uh, we covered it. Like that's why I wanted to do a Colorado episode and not just go exotic because that pertains to more of our audience, you know, kids and people that want to go out to their backyards. And we talk about, we we do a lot of flip sites in Colorado where we talk about the moisture seals and, and hitting them at certain times and all the responsibilities of, of herping the, yeah. the way that we do in North America and U S. So I, I think that it hits well, Yeah, but that's awesome, we'll man. Um, anything else you want to touch on anything? We, um, any final remarks you want to, you know, um, 
I would say I, I would I've always always try to push this that people you know like I I travel so much not because I really have the means and I just can but just just make it happen you know to anyone out there that's on the fence um they say that they don't have enough money they work a minimum wage job like I do too I make $15 an hour video editing most of the time and I don't even edit that much in the low seasons and stuff but you know I eat ramen at home and turkey and that's it and I have a little kid-sized bed and I live in a closet like Harry Potter's but it's I, it allows me to go herping to all around the world and, and not just herping, but experience like cultures and people and make friends and connections that could also lead to huge careers. And yeah. it already has for me, you know, like taking a graduation trip, scraping all my savings together to go to Peru's now led to an, a job, my dream job of leading expeditions in the Amazon. It's yeah. just like, that was, that was a like dopamine inducing daydream yeah. only three years ago only a year ago really and and it's just like you, you can never predict if you look into your future and say I, I shouldn't go to I shouldn't go to for a week herping in Uganda because that's just burning money and you're experiencing the no world problem. man you're experiencing the world yeah and we don't know when this is all gonna end right you, know, you don't know how long you're gonna live you don't know how long you're gonna live you could drive to work tomorrow and you know freaking some idiot runs into you and you die you know yeah live and life to I the mean, fullest that's a good uh, live life live life to the fullest is kind of cliche but i've always lived that way you know because yeah it's good freaking die. <laughs> and i swear like everyone is thinking like even experienced herpers in the u.s that want to go out and and just explore other countries like they're like oh yeah i'll do it i'll probably do it in the next couple of years i really want to come on an expedition with you in a couple of years or i really just want to even go in the united within the united states i want to go herp west texas in a couple of years, it's like, no, dude, you don't know if you have that. Do it now. Make it happen. You know, like there's sacrifices for everything. You got to sacrifice your time to go work out. So yeah. if you want it, then just, just do it. I think that's a good, that's I think that's it. a good closing message. Um, man, it was, it was great. We finally got it done. Um, so yeah, man, really appreciate it. I think people are going to enjoy this one. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. I could talk all day long about everything that we talked about. I could make tributaries, but yeah, uh, I'm going to stop recording. Day. You don't have to leave. I'm going to stop recording, but we'll, we'll finish it there. So um, take it easy, man. Thank you. You too. Right, man. See you.